You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. For today's episode, I had the chance to talk with William Tate. Dr. Tate is chair of the education department here at Washington University in St. Louis. And among his many roles, he is on the board for the Urban Studies program. And in addition to education, he studies a range of urban issues from public health to poverty. To do it, he and his colleagues have turned to GIS, or Geographic Information Systems. They want to use the power of mapping to tell important stories about urban life and urban needs. Now, it's often said that a picture is worth a thousand words. And according to Tate, this turn of phrase is especially relevant when examining urban issues. Because instead of mapping streets or topography, Tate focuses in part on what he calls the geography of opportunity. So what exactly are Tate and his colleagues attempting to learn and accomplish and communicate through maps? Let's find out. What we try to do is to understand uh, where opportunity exists in the city, uh, where you have a lot of positive assets, and then also ask questions about where things aren't going so well and why they aren't and what are the mechanisms there and We talk about that as the geography of opportunity because in many cities, the way it unfolds is you can predict positive and a negative human development outcomes based upon zip code, community, uh, neighborhood. Even though the types of outcomes that Tate just described are very location-specific, this type of information could easily be written up in an academic paper. So why does Tate choose to use GIS? Why is it such a powerful tool? One of the reasons we use GIS rather than some other standard statistical techniques is because we believe that uh, visual pictures actually influence cognition. We believe that when people see pictures where they live, and there's an undergirding analytical technique with GIS, just like any other statistical method, that an average citizen may decide, wow, there's something going on in our community that we can understand and you know, if, I, if, if we uh, use some kind of fancy regression analysis or logistic regression like they do in public health, sometimes people don't understand that. But they do understand when you color code things and, and show differences like color coding and, you know, neighborhood um, boundaries, they get it. And so the goal is to take what we do as academics and make it accessible to people who live in our communities and want to make a difference. Dr. Tate and his colleagues do a lot of this mapping work locally in the St. Louis metro region. We'll hear more about a few specific projects in a bit. But as he's quick to note, he isn't the first to attempt to harness the power of GIS for urban studies and community development. There's a history in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul of using GIS to stimulate political conversation, and we, we think that that history um, guides what we do. So the first thing we wanted to do was, and we're very fortunate to be at Washington University, where they've been supportive of us to develop a um, GIS system, which is online, that we uh, update every year with census data, American Community Survey data, and data from the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. And any citizen can come to our website and pull down over 3,500 variables related to the community and literally map Um, their neighborhood, their city, their school district, uh, the metro region around these 3,500 variables. 
We also have another strategy where we take some of that data and we do more analytical work that maybe the average citizen couldn't do, and we geocode it and do a visual-related analysis around various what we call policy-relevant issues, and we share those with stakeholders who, who make decisions about, about that. We also, of course, um, because we are a research university, try to publish this work and set an example for um, colleagues in other metro regions attempting to push them to think about sort of geospatial analysis. So in addition to sharing information with the community at large in a way that's easy to understand, Tate mentioned that he and his colleagues use the GIS data in order to pursue their own specific research goals. For the next section of the podcast, we'll be hearing in some detail about a few of those projects. We have examined uh, comparatively um, outcomes in science, mathematics, voting patterns, the relationship between voting patterns and what we think people know about what they were voting on, their literacy rates. We're really interested in making clear to the community um, where we are in terms of learning, human development, and um, more recently, health. Let's stick with the health angle for a minute. In 2012, Tate published a paper called, and this title's a little long, Pandemic Preparedness, Using Geospatial Modeling to Inform Policy and Systems of Education and Health in Metropolitan America. The pandemic in question here is H1N1, the strain of the flu virus that caused worldwide concern in 2009. So the question now is, why would a professor of education with a specialty in GIS do research relating to the flu? Because if, if you recall what happened, even though we didn't have a pandemic um, in the last couple of years, the emergency rooms were flooded with people who had um, real problems breathing as a result of uh, catching the flu. And so the president's advisory group argued that schools should be a place where they could triage um, many of the communities that might need help. And so we decided to look at where are the medical facilities that exist uh, across the zip codes in St. Louis metro, where are the hospitals, and where are you more likely to have people uh, rush to emergency rooms because they don't have primary care physicians. And then you could see that uh, North St. Louis, for example, was underdeveloped with respect to primary care physicians. And historically, that population in those zip codes had used the emergency room in excess of the other populations across the metro region, which meant if we actually had a pandemic, that that population would be greatly at risk of uh, suffering losses that might be much greater than other parts of the metro region. That's not surprising, but no one had, had actually done it before. And so we really wanted to um, demonstrate it visually so that people could see the, what the problems would be. So in the day-to-day reality of urban experience, and in academic attempts to understand that reality, a topic like public health does not exist in isolation. It coexists with other issues like poverty and education, and these are two topics that Tate tackles in his latest project. Most recently, we started to look at poverty and to ask questions about whether or not poverty was, whether people in poverty actually were experiencing very similar things in schools. And what we're finding is that Being poor matters more if you live in a metro region in Missouri. So, for example, if you live in Metro uh, St. Louis or Metro Kansas City, it seems to have a greater amount of risk than if you're poor and you live in a boot hill, for example. And so we're we're raising questions about why is that the case, because typically cities are assets with lots of resources, and it appears as though um, when we look at poverty in some of the surrounding areas that aren't in metro regions, 
that people were having better outcomes with respect to education. We suspect that they're going to have better outcomes with respect to health. We want to investigate that and uh, try to make sense of it. The poverty that Tate describes and the effects that poverty has on education attainment has very real outcomes within the St. Louis region. As Dr. Tate has found, local students often do not have the education they need to compete within a growing scientific job market within St. Louis. Every city has a political economy and they aspire to be something so. Dallas wants to be the telecommunications hub and Memphis wants to be the biotechnology hub around engineering. And clearly St. Louis has um, made a niche in doing great things related to biotechnology and plants and and plant science, and we have a great set of uh, opportunities related to information. But what we don't have is a real strategy for dealing with the people indigenous to St. Louis so that they might be able to participate in ways in these uh, opportunities. And so we rely largely on uh, immigration of scientific talent, Washington University being a central part of bringing this wonderful talent to this community, along with our other uh, colleagues at SLU and other places. However, what we haven't got a handle on is what happens when you need someone who actually lives here. And we, we, we're just not doing a great job in terms of science attainment, mathematics attainment. So what we want to make obvious to people through the maps and the geospatial analysis is that, hey, there are opportunities in St. Louis. Let's try to help people take advantage of them by improving their educational uh, experiences. So after studying public health, poverty, and science education, among other topics, what's the big message? Is there a common thread to all these urban issues? In part, yes. We're growing in our isolation of people in poverty in urban communities, and that growth uh, is creating a new culture that is very difficult to intervene on. And here's a four, we'd have to say over the last 25 years, There hasn't been any strategic plan federally or in most states, and unfortunately even in communities, to intervene on it. As you may have noticed from the wide array of projects that you just heard about, Dr. Tate is a huge supporter of interdisciplinary efforts. He has colleagues in the medical school, in the Brown-Warren School of Social Work, and really throughout Washington University and throughout the country. So even though he's in the education department, he stresses that the problems of urban life cannot be solved through education alone. And the way, the way I view it is that education, for example, in isolation, if you try to just solve it by itself, you just, it just won't work. We've been trying that for years. And you're not going to test your way out of the problems we have because a lot of the problems deal with health, family structure, poverty, And those things are economically driven, sociologically driven, uh, biologically driven. And so we really have to work together. To wrap up today's podcast, I asked Dr. Tate to return to one of his original points. Pictures, including maps, have the power to change the way people think. People are moved by visuals. They're not moved by numbers. I hate to say that. I mean, because I'm a numbers guy. But when I show you a picture, it changes your cognition. We already know that the psychologists have documented it. Pictures change how people think. And see, academics don't normally think about that. That's not how they want to do things, but that's how you change things. And so that's my hope. 
I mean, like, before I die, before I end, you know, they're going to wheel me out of this place. I'd like to see us, you know, creating really great empirical products that are sound science, but have the best of what we know about visual and creative arts to really sell the story. That's what we need. That's what we should be doing in Washington. Many thanks to William Tate for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find a link to his faculty profile and to some of the maps he described on our website. We're at thought.artsci.wustel.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustel.edu.